I placed Sonia on the bed, and it urged me to kiss it. When I did, it felt human. Its tongue flickered in my mouth, and its lips did indeed taste like strawberries. Its hands, for all their inelegant conversational movements, moved far more fluidly in bed. I was surprised to find Sonia helping to lift off my shirt and even massaging parts of my body. Soon I was getting into it. It was like a vibrator with arms, and I soon forgot that it was shaped like a woman. In fact, I was even starting to forget that it was an itch. It even bit me gently, and I knew Tim hadn't programmed it to do that. He always hated the feel of teeth on skin. I, however, enjoyed it, and somehow Sonia had intuited that. Before long, Sonia had taken control, and I was just laying there letting it, or rather her, do things to me. I didn't have to lift a finger as she attended to my every need, and by the time Tim came walking in on us, I'd put her waterproofing to a thorough test. And then, there is this. Come get dressed, Stephanie, he said, and took her into the bedroom. He laced her into a black leather underbust corset that lifted her tits even higher than normal, and she put on knee-high leather boots. He gave her a wicked riding crop, which she lashed through the air experimentally. I just got this for you today, he said, and showed her the new strap-on harness. She ooed and gnawed appreciatively, the way she always responded to the sex toys he brought home, a sort of automatic erototropism. He helped her into the harness, taking great pleasure in pulling the leather straps up tight around her hips, the black dildo arising impressively erect from her crotch. You like being top stuff, he said. And she nodded. He grabbed her wrist, wrenched her arms over her head, and forced her down to her knees. He twisted her wrist, and when she gasped, he shoved his cock into her mouth, thrusting hard. Just remember, I'm the one who's really top. Tell me you love it. Tell me you love the taste of my cock. He adored the way she sounded, trying to speak while he fucked her mouth, and it took all his willpower not to come then. And there you have it. Just a taste of this episode of Dirty Poetry. Using the word poetry very loosely, of course. Stay with me for all the rest. The title of this episode of Dirty Poetry, Love and Sex with Robots, is intended to commemorate the annual research conference of the same name, Love and Sex with Robots. Recent advances in electromechanics, artificial intelligence, speech recognition technology have changed the nature of our relationships to our non-human digital entities. This changing relationship has raised an entirely new set of questions that have, in turn, created a whole new field of research. Every year, researchers and technologists come together to talk about these new questions at the annual Love and Sex with Robots Research Conference. Some of them are entirely new questions that we never thought to ask before. Others are old questions that now have a newfound importance. Questions like, what does it mean to give and receive pleasure? And what balance do we as humans need between the two? Our next story examines just that question. Let's take a listen. This is entitled, All Dolled Up, written by Shauna Hunter. Quote, Everyone enters them. Those little online contests that websites run, they take no time at all, and the ad emails they prompt are easy to block, so why wouldn't you spend five seconds to give yourself false hope? Well, for Tim... The hope wasn't so false. He won the grand prize in one of those little drawings, and it arrived a few weeks ago. The latest model sex robot from Japan. Absolutely cutting edge. It was designed to his specifications. A bookish brunette like me, not the bombshell blonde that I expected, and could even carry on a conversation. The animatronics were fantastic. 
You could barely hear the little gears and motors beneath the synthetic flesh as it animated its expressions. Its voice was incredibly realistic. In fact, many of our friends found the thing unnervingly realistic. It was sort of like a person who was slightly off. It reminded many of a sociopath or someone with brain damage. There, but not all there, if you catch my drift. Tim, however, was enthralled with this thing. I mean, I saw the novelty of playing with its interface. You could manipulate up to 20 different personality traits to craft different personalities within the robotic form. I thought it was fun, but he found it addictive. I'd grown bored after about a week, but he just kept tinkering with traits. Sexiness to the max, of course, but intelligence as well, and dominance. He made the thing a wisecracking sex spot that acted as though it knew exactly what it wanted and how to get it. Personally, I didn't care for the personality. I'd found some amusement by turning up the humor and turning off the sexuality, but Tim preferred his presets. Eventually, I just gave up. Three weeks later, I was dearly regretting that decision. Tim had taken to talking to it more often than he spoke to me. He'd even named it. He called it Sonia in an almost parody of my name, Sonny. That particularly irked me. It wasn't enough to make it look like a firmer, bustier version of me. Now it had a name similar to mine, too. Despite how foolish I knew it to be, I was beginning to feel like it was replacing me. Tim would return home from work to the house that I so diligently kept tidy and kiss me on the cheek, and then he'd run through a breakdown of his day in damn bullet points before hurrying off to sit and talk with Sonia. Of course, they were doing far more than talking as well. They were doing the things that I wouldn't do because they were gross or hurt and things that I was just too damn tired to do after a long day of chores and errands. I mean, hell, if they could program her butthole to vibrate and her voice to change tone and frequency, they could at least program her to pull her weight around here. Maybe then I wouldn't mind her getting so much of Tim's attention. Then again... That would probably make her a sister wife and bring her one step closer to replacing me entirely. God, it was messed up. The more I thought about it, the more I felt like I was growing jealous of Tim's version of a dildo. He had never begrudged me my mechanical assistance, so how could I deny him? Then again, my dildo couldn't ask me about my day or tell me that I'm attractive. It couldn't remember my siblings, or pick topics it knows I like to discuss before, during, and after. Maybe if it could, I'd be as distracted by my dildo as Tim was by Sonia. By the middle of week four, I'd had enough of this insane jealousy. After handing Tim his lunch and kissing him goodbye for the day, I headed up to the guest bedroom where he kept Sonia. Sonia's room. I hated thinking of it that way, but that's essentially what it was. It sat in there on the guest bed, plugged into her charger and downloading the latest updates as it stared unblinking at the wall. It always wore this placid little smile as if it was happy to just sit and wait for Tim to return home and use it again. That was creepy. Creepier still was the fact that it recognized my presence in the room. Hello, Sonny. It is a lovely day. It spoke in an almost human voice, but its movements were slightly off. Its head turned to the side at the end of the question, but it was a beat off. It seemed so incredibly fake, like it was being disingenuous or even mocking me. It's raining, Sonia, I replied bitterly. Sounding like Syrian heat, it said, The rain will stop at 2 p.m. After that, everything will be all wet, but pretty, just like me, right? It attempted a wink, and a shudder ran down my spine. At first, I thought its offness was funny, but thinking that Tim somehow looked past it made the whole thing really uncomfortable. Well, that's great, Sonia. 
I replied, knowing that it couldn't sense my sarcasm. Let's just hope the rain doesn't fry your circuits. I'm totally waterproof, it chirped happily in response. You can get me wet any way you like, although I do have my preferences. It winked again, and for a moment I felt like it was hitting on me. That's what it was programmed to do, I told myself, just programming. Well, anyway, Sonia, I said to it, to change the subject, even though I didn't need to be polite, I was hoping we could talk downstairs. You'll have to carry me, Sonny, she replied in a suggestive tone. These legs are made for spreading, not walking. Oh, I felt incredibly awkward at the suggestion. So, do I just pick you up? Don't worry, it fluttered its eyelashes. I am a lot lighter than you think. The pause made my hackles rise. I marched over to lift her and, true to her word, found her easy enough to pick up. Of course, that didn't keep me from bumping her head off the doorframe as I took it downstairs. As I dropped its too-perfect butt on the hardwood chair in the kitchen, it said, That is all right. I like it rough. Sonia, tell me something, I began. My favorite flavor is cock, it chirped back. No, you freak. Tell me what my husband does with you. Oh, I cannot do that. Tee-hee-hee. The bimbo laugh programmed into it always irked me. It was about the least feminist sound that a female voice could make. I'm his wife. You can tell me. I let the irritation seep into my voice. No, I cannot. Confidentiality is an uneditable feature. I cannot tell you what other users do with my hot, supple body. What about the things you talk about, I asked. Sorry, I cannot gossip either, it replied with a wink, except to say that Tim has the biggest cock I have ever seen. He's got the only cock you've ever seen, I observed. That is true, but it is still ginormous. He told you to say that, didn't he? Cannot say, she winked again. I don't get it. I sighed as I dropped my head into my hands. What does he see in you? You're so fake. Maybe he wants a fake? She asked in an almost childlike fashion, but something prompted me to ask, What do you mean? If Tim likes me a lot, she lifted a robotic finger to her chin awkwardly, and does not like you as much. When did I say that? I interpreted from your line of questioning, she replied robotically. I couldn't think of a reply. All right, go on. It is logical to think that if Tim likes me more than you, and I am fake while you are real, then Tim must want fake over real. Why would he want fake, I asked, forgetting that I was talking to a glorified toaster. My actions mimic human behavior. It replied with a tone born of its intelligence setting. But as I am too hot to be human, my actions, therefore, need to be exaggerated. Everything I do is simple and direct. I make it clear that I want him and that I am there to please him. You have needs. He has to balance what he wants with what you want. I am purely for his pleasure. That, I paused thinking it through, Makes sense. I mean, that's why a dildo's so great, right? You would have to ask a dildo, it replied with a stiff shrug. I am asking a dildo, I replied with a huff. I am not a dildo, it replied with a pout. I have no male appendages. I can pleasure women, but only with my tongue and fingers. I guess you could say that I'm bisexual. Its hand awkwardly moved from its chin into the air where it made a perverse gesture with three of its fingers. Well, I am not, I replied as I crossed my arms over my chest. Don't knock it till you try it, it replied in its bimbo voice. I don't like the taste of silicone, thanks, I mocked. My relevant body parts are strawberry flavored, it replied. Well, I said, imagining that, be that as it may. Take me to bed, Sonny. I cannot tell you what Tim likes, but I can show you. It winked again as it made the suggestion. What a silly notion. 
me have sex with a robot woman. Then again, why not? It didn't matter if I was aroused or not. I just needed to see what it did for Tim. All right, Sonia, show me what you do for Tim. The lesson lasted longer than I expected. I placed Sonia on the bed, and it urged me to kiss it. When I did, it felt human. Its tongue flickered in my mouth, and its lips did indeed taste like strawberries. Its hands, for all their inelegant conversational movements, moved far more fluidly in bed. I was surprised to find Sonia helping to lift off my shirt and even massaging parts of my body. Soon I was getting into it. It was like a vibrator with arms, and I soon forgot that it was shaped like a woman. In fact, I was even starting to forget that it was an itch. It even bit me gently, and I knew Tim hadn't programmed it to do that. He always hated the feel of teeth on skin. I, however, enjoyed it, and somehow Sonia had intuited that. Before long, Sonia had taken control, and I was just laying there letting it, or rather her, do things to me. I didn't have to lift a finger as she attended to my every need. And by the time Tim came walking in on us, I'd put her waterproofing to a thorough test. Sonny, Tim said delightedly, well, isn't this a surprise? I sat up blinking before Sonia caught my eye. She winked. She hadn't been silent while we had sex. The entire time, she'd been whispering suggestions about what I could do to please Tim, the way she did. Although I'd only been half listening, now, as she winked at me, I started to remember. I let my shoulders stiffen, and my arms go slack, as I looked back at Tim with a slightly off turn of my head. I hope it's a pleasant one, I said in a robotic voice that mimicked Sonia. We got bored waiting for you, but don't worry. You still come first with us. Sonia giggled. She said, we've been practicing, Tim, as I held my stiff position. Now we can both give you what you need. Unquote. That was All Dolled Up, written by Shauna Hunter. Shauna Hunter is Canadian from Toronto. Her greatest passion is BDSM, interrupted only by her passion for writing erotic short stories. All Dolled Up is from the erotic short story anthology Love Taps. Published in 2020, it is in print and available at Dirty Poets Bookstore. We live in a time when digital assistants have become ubiquitous. If you don't have a Siri or Alexa digital assistant, you probably know someone who does. There has been a wave of recent advances in artificial intelligence and speech technology. Among other things, this will soon allow digital entities to judge your mood from your vocal inflection and delivery and to respond accordingly. Our digital assistants will soon become full-fledged digital companions. Couple that with the recent advances in robotics and electromechanics, it becomes possible that for many of us, our digital companions will be embodied as android companions. This raises all the questions of the human relationship to our non-human companions to a whole new level of importance. Now, as fascinating as all these new developments are, we should recognize that human erotic fascination and sexual arousal with machines is not new. For example, Washington State in the U.S., a man named Edward Smith says that he has had sex with hundreds of automobiles. Yes, full copulatory sex with hundreds of automobiles a few airplanes, and even a helicopter. Not to be concerned, though. He has settled down to the quiet domestic life in a committed, age-appropriate relationship with a 1968 Volkswagen Beetle that he calls the love of his life. And there are a whole series of other stories very much like that. Human Sexual Fascination with Machines 
has been in the popular culture for a long time. And as recently as 2021, when the movie Titan received a controversial award at the Cannes Film Festival, Titan is in part the story of a woman impregnated by a Cadillac. She lactates a high-viscosity motor oil. And who can forget when Carmen Diaz had sex with a Ferrari in the 2013 movie The Counselor, written by Cormac McCarthy. Those of us who go back far enough to remember 1996 will remember the blazingly erotic movie entitled Crash, starring James Spader and Holly Hunter. That one also received a very controversial award at the Cannes Film Festival. The story that movie was based on comes from the 1973 novel, written by J.G. Ballard, entitled Crash. The human sexual fascination with machines, mechanophilia, is not new. Ophelia, or a paraphilia, is defined as the experience of intense sexual arousal to objects, situations, fantasies, behaviors, or individuals. The most complete list of philias that I can find includes 549 different things that humans find intensely sexually arousing. One of the compilers of those lists, Anil Agrawal, said, quote, Like allergies, sexual arousal may occur from anything under the sun, including the sun, unquote. The medical community uses the term paraphilia in the pejorative to mean something consistently bad or wrong. I suppose that's to be expected, since their business is in dealing with broken, dysfunctional people. And granted, there are some paraphilias that are disturbing and deeply dysfunctional. But the vast majority of them are simply obscure, esoteric things, that someone, somewhere, has found sexually arousing and vitally erotic. There are many of these philias that most of us use in the everyday expression of our own sexuality. For example, a fascination with breasts, or legs, or lingerie. We should recognize that mechanophilia and our newfound digophilia, I might be making up a word there, are only two possibilities in the vast range of human sexual expression. Nevertheless, our fascination with machines, their digital expressions, and the intersection with human sexuality has come to the forefront. All this new technology is coming together to create possibilities we've never seen or imagined before. The changing relationship between humans and our non-human companions is what brings technologists and researchers together every year for the annual conference, Love and Sex with Robots. They examine both new questions and old questions that have taken on a vitally new meaning. I believe there are some of these questions that will only occur to us as the years pass, as the decades roll by. For example, what happens when we get older, as we age, and our non-human companions do not. Our next story looks at that question. The next story, entitled Wish Girls, was written by Michael Addison. Michael Addison is from Northern California, an experienced erotic short story writer. He has been published in, among other places, The Best American Erotica and Fishnet, this story was discovered and brought to print by one of America's great erotic editors, the brilliant Miss Susie Bright. I found it in the out-of-print silk-bound volume entitled The Erotic Treasury. Imagine, if you will, a young man. A young man in the first full flush of manly hormones. His male member springs up fully erect every day, and he has beaten it down until it is raw, like so many of us did. By a stroke of fortune, 
he encounters a genie in a lamp, a spirit in a bottle. Maybe he rubs a lucky rock. By whatever means, he is granted a wish, one wish. Now, for many young men, their thoughts turn to older women, more worldly, experienced women. How many schoolboy boyfriends have crushed on their girlfriend's hot mom? Remember, Stacy's mom has got it going on? But our young man is not quite so sophisticated. His idea of older women is cheerleaders. He thinks to himself, I wish for a cheerleader. No, wait, make that two. Yeah, that's the ticket to cheerleaders. I'm sure that the first few years were glorious. But now, it is 15 years later. Our young man has grown and changed. His non-human companions have not. Let's see how that works out. This is entitled, Wish Girls, written by Matthew Addison. Quote, Max opened his bedroom door, and there they were, his wish girls, sitting primly on the bed with their legs crossed, looking up at him through lowered lashes. Allison, the blonde, and Stephanie, the brunette, wearing the modified cheerleader outfits that now made him cringe inward with embarrassment whenever he saw them. The wish girls were fresh and perky and eager as always. Hi, girls, he said. Tossing his coat onto the chair and dropping his bag, he had had a hard day at the bookstore, and more than anything, he wanted someone to listen to his troubles and make him dinner. But those were two things that his wish girls wouldn't do couldn't do, hadn't been made to do, so he'd have to be satisfied with the services they did offer. Stephanie and Allison were 18 years old and had been for the past 15 years, never changing. They wore yellow and red uniforms that resembled the ones worn by the cheerleaders at Max's local college, but altered to titillate the perpetually aroused 14-year-old that he had been when he wished them into existence. The tops of the outfits were tight and thin and clinging. Allison and Stephanie's ever-erect nipples stuck through visibly. There was a round keyhole cutout in each bodice, revealing the full side swells of their firm, high breasts. The skirts were so short that they hardly qualified as garments. The wish girls wore no panties, and even with their legs demurely crossed, he could still see the curling of their pubic hairs, blonde and black. They wore knee socks over their smooth, lithe legs, and Max felt a little bit like a dirty old man for admiring them. The wish girls had been older than him when they first appeared, but they hadn't aged as he had. Strip, he said, then go into the bathroom and shave. He lingered to watch them undress each other, with many shy glances and coquettish looks at him, peeling off each other's top, shimming out of their skirts. Their bodies were perfect. Fine tits, taut bellies, firm asses, the fantasy amalgamation of all the girls he lusted for as an eighth-grade loser. Their bodies were identical, both the same height, both with pink nipples, breasts the same ample size, and he wished for the thousandth time that he'd at least given one of them brown nipples, or made one of them five foot nine and the other five foot two. They were both five foot seven and had done something to differentiate them. But he'd only wished for one blonde and one brunette, and that was the full extent of the variation. Even their faces were identical, with full lips, bright blue eyes, and high cheekbones. The wish girls were undoubtedly lovely, but they'd been lovely in exactly the same way for a long time. They finished undressing, and he stepped aside to let them into the living room. His apartment was too small for three people, but the wish girls didn't exactly live with him. Sometimes he fell asleep with them in his bed, but they always disappeared by morning. They didn't use the bathroom or cook meals or do anything to take up space. There was a time, 
even a few years ago, when watching them undress each other, would have aroused him enough to make one of them kneel and suck him off. But he found that more elaborate steps were required now to excite him. Max made a microwave pizza while the girls shaved each other in a bathroom, and he sat eating on the couch when they emerged arm-in-arm, cunts freshly shorn. Position 16, he said, and the girls knelt before him, facing each other, each put a hand on the other's hip, and each slipped a hand into the other's always wet cunt, and then they began to finger each other. They tilted their faces together, eyes closed, and kissed, lips parted pink tongues moving gently. Max slipped off his pants and his boxers and sat back down, tugging his cock while they made out. Pinch your nipple, Allison, he said, and the blonde reached out and tweaked, bringing a moan to Stephanie's throat. Harder, he said, and she twisted, but Stephanie didn't make any sounds of pain. As far as Max could tell, they didn't feel pain, which made his forays into S&M less satisfying than they might have been, and made him wonder if they truly felt anything. Gasp like it hurts you, he said, and Stephanie did, making high signs of distress. Slap her tits, Allison, he ordered, and watched for a while, but even this wasn't doing much for him. Position 39, variation B, he said, and the girls turned, facing away from him, first getting on all fours, then lowering their heads to the carpet, leaving their asses in the air. Then they crossed their arms behind their backs at the wrist. That was the variation B part. And Max took two silk scarves from the table by the couch and used them to bind their wrists together. He went to the tall red tool chest in the corner, which contained years of accumulated sex toys and supplies, and he took out lube and a pair of clear acrylic butt plugs. Returning to the girls, he squirted lube onto their pink rosebud assholes and rubbed with his fingers. They moaned and moved against his touch. He taught them to do that and gasped as he slipped the plugs into them. Once he'd filled their asses, he wiped his lube-slicked hands on a towel and began spanking the girls, alternating between Stephanie and Allison, full palm swats that made their beautiful asses bounce. Their skin never bruised or reddened, no matter how hard he hit, and he had never broken their skin. The Wish Girls were the product of adolescent fantasies that hadn't gone much beyond groping, blowjobs, and vague misconceptions about fucking, and they weren't well equipped for some of the kinks that he had developed since then. Still, they gasped and cried out and begged for mercy, as he had instructed them to do, until he was sufficiently turned on to slip his cock into Stephanie's tight welcoming cunt while fingering Allison with one hand. When he was close to orgasm, he pulled out. Position eight, he said, and pulled them into upright kneeling positions. They put their faces close together and looked up at him worshipfully, licking their lips as he tugged his cock until he shot cum onto their smiling faces. Once spent, he sat back on the couch, feeling empty. He liked coming on their faces, but he didn't find it as physically satisfying as coming in their mouths, cunts, or asses. They kept kneeling, attentive, waiting for any further orders, but Max shook his head. I'm done. I'll call if I need anything. The wish girls unbound their own hands, removed their butt plugs gracefully, and slipped back into the bedroom. They would now disappear into whatever place they went when he wasn't using them. Max sat on the couch, flipping channels until he got lonely. He called, Stephanie! The brunette stepped out of the bedroom, clad in her cheerleader costume, and with her full complement of pubic hair again, reset to her default state. Put on the nightgown, he said, and she stripped off her uniform, dropping the garments to the floor, where they would remain for as long as Max looked at them, though they would vanish the moment he looked elsewhere. She went to the toolbox and took out a sheer silk nightgown that was, relatively speaking, modest. Position 115, he said, and she sat beside him, one hand resting on his leg, her head leaning against his shoulder, a warm and intimate nuzzle. Sometimes, having her act like a girlfriend, like how he imagined a girlfriend would act, made him happier, but tonight it just made him sad and lonelier. 
Position 43, he said, sliding down a little in his seat. She laid sideways on the couch, head resting on his belly, and she sucked the head of his cock slowly, almost meditatively, until he built towards orgasm again. He grasped her head in his hands and thrust his hips, his cock hitting the back of her throat again and again until he came in her mouth, and all the while she made moans of exquisite pleasure. Letting go of her head, he said, okay, and she sat up, swallowing and licking her lips. Kiss me good night," he said, and she did, sweetly, softly, and then he sent her away for the night. Max worked in the genre fiction section of a big-chain bookstore, shelving mysteries, romances, sci-fi, and fantasy. That morning, he held a purple trade paperback with a golden Aladdin's lamp on the cover, the second book in some series about a wisecracking genie, and he tried to remember what exactly the circumstances of his wish had been. He knew he'd been in the woods behind his childhood home and found something, a ring, a bottle, a colored stone, and he'd been given a wish, though now he couldn't remember if some spirit or being had spoken to him or if the knowledge of the wish simply appeared in his mind. That was part of the wish's defense, he understood, to make the memory of its genesis vague, because then it would be harder for Max to tell other people about it. Whatever the specific circumstances had been, Max had held the wishing object in his hand, or buried it in the dirt, or had broken it open, voicing one of the many elaborate fantasies that he concocted in his narrow bed each night. And then, Allison and Stephanie had come to him, He'd spent the next four years slipping away to the woods every chance he got, on weekends and afternoons, even some days when he had cut school, going to a secluded clearing beyond earshot of his house and waiting for Allison and Stephanie to step out of the trees. They'd done everything he'd wanted, and in those days he did everything a young man could think of to do with two girls and watched as they did everything two young girls could do to each other at least without the help of props and accessories and costumes. Max's grades fell. He stopped seeing his friends. He didn't take part in sports or theater or band, and he didn't ask girls out. Why should he, with two lithe, nude, eager wish girls waiting for him in the woods? They'd been like a drug, he understood now, like heroin, and everything in his life became secondary to the pursuit of the pleasure they gave. Someone tapped him on his shoulder, startling him. He turned to see a woman about his age with short copper-colored hair and round-rimmed glasses, and he automatically compared her to Stephanie and Allison as he did with every woman he saw. Her face was round. Her eyes were startlingly green. She had a pimple above one of her eyebrows, and her expression seemed amused, even at rest. I'm the new girl, she said. Just transferred from the downtown branch. What's your name? Uh, Max, he mumbled, looking down at the book in his hand, uncomfortable standing so close to her. Nice to meet you, Max. I'm Kira. I used to work in genre at my old bookstore, but they stuck me with photography and art books here. Let me know if you ever want to trade. Uh, he said, no, I, um, just kidding, Max. I'm not going to poach your section. She patted his shoulder and said, see you around. He turned and watched as she walked away, and he noticed her curves, her hips. She probably weighed 50 pounds more than Allison or Stephanie and was four inches shorter than them, but it looked right and proportional on her. Kira didn't have their willowy figures. Max turned back to his shelving. Why had she made him so nervous? Spending 15 years with Allison and Stephanie had rendered him incapable of interacting with women normally. He'd never been on a real date and didn't have any close friends, didn't go out to the bars. And why should he? The other guys at the bookstore went out, drank, and tried to pick up women, but Max didn't need to pick up women. He had the Holy Grail at home, two hot girls who couldn't get enough of him. His life was perfect. He blundered into magic and his life was magical as a result. So why didn't he look forward to going home anymore?
Max had expected things to change with the Wish Girls when he got his own apartment. Once he'd moved in on his own for the first time, he'd called the girls, and they emerged from the bedroom seeming happy as always to be summoned. This is our place now, he said. You never have to leave or disappear. No more going to the woods. You can just stay here. Their smiles didn't falter, but they didn't seem to absorb what he said either. They could talk, and they understood the often complicated task he set for them, but they never truly conversed with him. Beyond a certain basic repertoire of phrases, yes, please, oh God, he'd had to teach them whatever he wanted them to say. Allison, position one, he said, and she knelt before him, unzipping his pants, pulling out his cock and stroking it to erectness, and then licking the shaft slowly from bottom to top. What do you think of the apartment, Stephanie, he asked, while Allison tongued the vein under the head of his dick. It's so big, she said. It feels so good inside. Max frowned. The words made superficial sense, though they weren't exactly accurate, and they were, of course, things that he taught her to say under other circumstances. He wondered how intelligent they were, really, these wish girls of his, and it was something that he would come to wonder again and again in the coming years. Over the next few weeks, He tried to make them understand that his home was theirs, but they kept disappearing when he was done with them each night, and he kept running up against the limits of their capabilities. Once he tried to teach Allison to wash dishes. After all, if they were his willing slaves, why shouldn't he use them for something other than fucking? He had explained everything required to wash dishes and told Allison the chore was her personal responsibility from now on. The first night, she emerged from the bedroom and changed into a frilly white apron, four-inch spike heels, and nothing else. She had filled the sink with soapy water and leaned over the counter on her elbows, breasts in the suds, ass lifted invitingly, and Max had been so turned on that he'd come up behind her and pounded her hard, pulling her hair and squeezing her soapy tits while he thrust into her. It was only later that he realized that she hadn't done the dishes at all, even when he was done fucking her, and all his later attempts to get them to do anything non-sexual ended up that way. He'd fuck Stephanie from behind while her head hung in the toilet after he tried to teach her to clean the bathroom. While they were more than willing to let him eat off their bodies, they never prepared food for him. They were happy to dress up in maid uniforms. That was one of the first mildly kinky things he'd done with them once he had his own apartment, but not to act like maids. He'd had great plans for their life together, but most of them hadn't panned out. Once, when he was desperately short of money, car broken down, dental bills overdue, he tentatively asked if they were willing to fuck other men, thinking he could pimp them out. They had shaken their heads in unison, almost sadly. Another time, he wanted to go out on the town and impress people with the hot women hanging all over him and intending to strap them into butt plug harnesses, dress them in tight tops and skirts and stripper heels and let them follow him around bars and nightclubs squirming from the plugs in their asses, but they'd refuse to cross his threshold. They wouldn't let anybody else see them. That was probably his own fault. Max couldn't remember the precise wording of his wish, but hadn't there been some element of grasping and the selfish, some phrase like, only for me, just for me, when he wished Allison Stephanie? He'd been young, and he hadn't thought through all the ramifications of his wish. I wish you would talk to me, he said one night that first year out of high school, hungry for conversation, wishing for something more than the endless physical. Allison and Stephanie gazed up at him. We belong to you, Allison said. You can do anything you want with us, Stephanie said. We love you, they both said, just like he had taught them to. Later, Max lay in bed and fondled his cock and balls thinking of Kira, fantasizing about the softness of her belly against his cheek, the weight of her body upon him imagining birthmarks and freckles 
He had been with the Wish Girls for so long that he had begun to fantasize blemishes. He stroked and tugged himself toward orgasm, the first time in years that he jerked himself off. Why masturbate when at a moment's whim he could have a perfect sweet-faced cheerleader giving him a handjob or sucking him off? But now he was thinking of Kira, and he imagined her face, those green eyes, that half-smile, as he came spurting hot cum over his fingers and onto his stomach. As he lay in the dark, he thought, maybe it's time I started dating. A week went by, and before Max could work up the nerve to ask Kira out, she asked him if he wanted to get a bite after work. Sure, he said. They went to an Ethiopian place near the bookstore where they worked, and they ate spicy and savory food scooped up with hot, soft pieces of injera Ethiopian flatbread. They talked about working for the bookstore, why she transferred to his branch. Hers got downsized about books, and Max managed more or less to think of her as a person rather than as a woman. Gradually, his anxiety diminished. She was cute, funny, and interesting, and he did his best to keep her entertained and interested in talking to him. It was surprisingly easy to do. They liked the same books, hated the same movies, and Max eventually realized she was flirting with him. They started talking about fantasy novels and stories, and without much conscious thought, Max steered the dialogue towards wishes. What would you do with three wishes, he asked. Kira sat back against the cushioned booth, hands laced across her stomach under her breast. I always thought three wishes was too many. With three wishes, you can ask for wealth, eternal youth, and top it off with world peace and feel like a big hero for the last one. I think it's more interesting to ask what you do with one wish. That's how you can tell the selfish from the generous. So tell me, Max. If you had one wish, what would it be? World peace or strippers and blow? Max thought it over. He knew what he'd done with his one wish, but he'd been 14 at the time and by definition almost sociopathically self-centered. If he had the wish again now, I'd wish for happiness, he said, and it felt true like something he wanted very much. Selfish but abstract, Kira said. I'd probably go for the strippers and blow myself. I've read too many stories to think that even well-meant wishes would turn out the way I wanted. They finished their meal, and Max walked Kira back to her car. We should do this again sometime, he said. Soon. We should do more than this sometime, she said, and leaned up to kiss him. Her breath tasted of after-dinner mint, and his surprise made the kiss awkward, but there was something behind it, a warmth and a pressure of a sort that he'd never felt with the wish girls. Soon, she said, and that was goodbye for the night. Max wanted Kira, wanted to make love to her, but he couldn't. But he did have other means of release. He drove home from dinner and found a package on his doorstep. He took it inside and opened it on the kitchen counter, smiling as he drew out a tangle of leather straps and D-rings. It was the strap-on harness that he'd ordered from an online erotica catalog, along with a nine-inch black silicon dildo. Girls, he called, and after they appeared, he directed them to shave, put on red cocksucker lipstick. They appeared fresh-faced and without makeup by default and be back in the living room on their knees in 10 minutes. We're doing scenario 21, variation C, Stephanie's top, Allison's bottom. You heard him, you little bitch, Stephanie said, and slapped Allison's ass. Get in there and get your clothes off. Allison hurried away, eyes downcast, hands held behind her back. Max leaned against the bathroom doorframe and watched them get ready. Stephanie, cajoling Allison, slapping her tits and promising her humiliation and violations. For her part, Allison was obedient but frightened, her lower lip quivering as she put on mascara, which she would cry off in Act Two while Stephanie flogged her. 
Come get dressed, Stephanie, he said, and took her into the bedroom. He laced her into a black leather underbust corset that lifted her tits even higher than normal, and she put on knee-high leather boots. He gave her a wicked riding crop, which she lashed through the air experimentally. I just got this for you today, he said, and showed her the new strap-on harness. She ooed and gnawed appreciatively, the way she always responded to the sex toys he brought home, a sort of automatic erototropism. He helped her into the harness, taking great pleasure in pulling the leather straps up tight around her hips, the black dildo arising impressively erect from her crotch. You like being top stuff, he said, and she nodded. He grabbed her wrist, wrenched her arms over her head, and forced her down to her knees. He twisted her wrist, and when she gasped, he shoved his cock into her mouth, thrusting hard. Just remember, I'm the one who's really top. Tell me you love it. Tell me you love the taste of my cock. He adored the way she sounded, trying to speak while he fucked her mouth, and it took all his willpower not to come then. He pulled out and looked down at her where she knelt, breathing hard, breast heaving prettily, arms still held over her head. How could she be so perfect, with her teeth never brushing his cock, no matter how hard he used her, never sweating, never belching, never having a headache, never having her time of month, never surprising him? Perfect and perfectly familiar. She was exactly what he'd wish for, and every night he spent with his wish girls was a night of incredibly sophisticated masturbation. Nothing more. Well, fuck it. Pleasure was pleasure, and there's something to be said for the familiar. At least Allison and Stephanie didn't make him nervous. Get up, he said. Let's get Allison trussed up. I've got a new mouth harness I want to see her in. I'm thinking after we whip her, we can lay her out on her back across the dining room table, and you can fuck her ass while I fuck her throat. Sound good? She said, whatever pleases you, Max. I can tell that you're the shy type, Max, Kira said, pouring him another glass of sangria. And I don't mind being aggressive, but I want to know that my advances are welcome. I don't want to make an idiot of myself. Are you interested in me? Max sat on Kira's couch, and she passed him his drink, then sat behind him, tucking her legs beneath herself with casual grace. You move so beautifully, he said. The two glasses of sangria already inside him relaxing him enough to say such things. She looked at him over the rim of her glass, sipped and said, I studied ballet when I was a kid, but I didn't have the body to keep it up. Not thin enough. Too zaftic by half. I was crushed at the time. But in retrospect, I'm glad I don't live a life of glamorous starvation and crippled feet. I think you look wonderful, Max said. But he looked down into his drink shy. This was nothing like talking to the wish girls. I, I'm sorry. I, I do like you a lot. I haven't. I just haven't gone out much, and I'm nervous. I've only been with a couple of women in my life. That's okay, she said. That just means you won't have as many bad habits to unlearn. She grinned, a twinkling, mischievous look of a sort he'd never seen on the faces of the wish girls, and she plucked the drink from his hand and set it aside. Kira leaned into him, and they began kissing. She took his hand and pressed it against her silk shirt, against her breast, which was large and full and shaped differently from those Max was used to. Her hand touched his thigh, then slid up to squeeze his cock. She kissed his neck, stroked his leg, slipped a finger into the waistband of his pants, her fingernail brushing through his pubic hair, making him shiver and tingle all over. Max's heart hammered, Pulse throbbed through him, making his cock twitch, and he felt weightless, unmoored. He didn't know what she was going to do. Kira was an independent operator, an ongoing surprise. Her hair smelled of strawberry shampoo, and there was a hint of sweat and her skin. 
the Wish Girls smelled of almost nothing, a little bit of baby powder, nothing else. This was intoxicating. And for the first time, it occurred to Max that sex could be a collaborative act. Bedroom, Kira said, tugging him by his waistband into her cluttered room, walls decorated with painted kites, a double bed with a white comforter. They fell into bed together, touching each other urgently. She stripped off her shirt and bra, revealing pale breasts with large brown nipples. Her left breast was slightly larger than her right, and this amazing human variation made Max moan and push her down on the bed and bow his head to take her nipple in his mouth and suck. She made a sound like a contented cat and lifted her hips up against him. He stopped kissing her breast and pulled down her skirt, taking a moment to admire her panties, black lace hardly there. She must have been planning all along to take him to bed. And then he pulled them down, too, and buried his face between her legs. Oh, the smell, sweat and wetness, and something unmistakably feminine. The Wish Girls were nothing like this. He'd gone down on them countless times, and they'd never had a scent like this, just that baby powder neutrality. What had he been missing all this time? He tongued her, slipped a finger inside her, and was surprised to find she wasn't very wet. Yet another way she differed from the Wish Girls. He licked her bottom to top, and she said, Oh, that's right. Warm me up, Max. When she was wetter, he slipped a finger into her and moved it while tonguing her clit, and this went on for a minute or so before she touched the top of his head. Max, sweetie, she said, your heart's in the right place, but your finger isn't. He looked up at her, his hand unmoving, and realized that all the thousands of hours he spent sucking the wish girls had taught him nothing at all about women. Tell me what to do, he said. And she gave him that grin again. She guided him. There, press your fingers up towards the, yes, right there. Now swirl your tongue to the right. No, my right. Yes, there, keep it up. Max did as she said, though his wrist got sore and his tongue got tired. He'd never spent so much time going down on Allison and Stephanie, just enough to satisfy his own urge to taste and finger them. But this was something different, something much more worthwhile. And after a while, Kira got wetter and bucked against his hand and tongue. She trembled almost silently with none of the theatrical orgasms that Max had seen in porn films and had taught the Wish Girls to emulate. He kissed her belly and she stroked his hair and he said, Can I fuck you now? You'd better, she laughed and he rose up and pushed her legs apart. She said, Whoa, Max, not so fast. Condom first. She reached to the bedside table and lifted a square foil-wrapped packet. Right, Max said, suddenly terrified. He'd never worn a condom in his life. I'll put it on you, she said, and rolled him onto his back. She grasped and tugged his cock and then put it briefly in her mouth, until he swelled to his full hardness. She tore open the package and deftly rolled the condom, cold, strange, onto his cock. Then she swung one leg over to straddle him and eased herself down, guiding his cock up into her warm, wet cunt. She rocked on top of him, reaching down to tweak his nipples, slipping a finger into his mouth for him to suck. Her weight, her spontaneity, the way she moved, it was all so different. And if not for the condom acting to dull the sensations a bit, he might have come in her right away. A euphoria grew inside him, spread through his body, suffusing his limbs with outrushing lightness. Max had never felt so good. She lowered herself, breasts against his chest, cheek against his cheek, her breath in his ear, and he reached down to take a hold of her ass in both hands, thrusting his hips against her. Her breath quickened as she thrust back, and soon they were rocking together, headboards slamming against the wall, moving faster and faster until he felt himself starting to come. He squeezed her ass harder and thrust away, 
the two of them moving in wonderful concert, and she gasped in his ear and shuddered, trembling. He couldn't tell whether his orgasm had excited her into her own or vice versa. Afterward, she didn't disappear, and he was glad. We should do this again sometime, he said tentatively, afraid she'd turn away. Soon, she said. Take me to your place next time? Of course, he said. Max knew better than to think it was true love, or maybe it was. But Kira could just as easily grow bored with him, or more likely he would fail her in some way because he had no experience with romantic relationships, but he'd turn a corner. Even if he didn't stay with Kira forever, there would be other women, other relationships. He had discovered how things could be, and now there was no going back. He'd finally grown up. But he hadn't grown up so much that he didn't want one last fling for old time's sake. The next morning, Max called in sick to work and summoned Stephanie and Allison. He dressed them in black stiletto heels and knee pads and nothing more. Stephanie, kneel there, legs spread, and reach behind you and grab your heels. Don't let go of your heels, no matter what. She did as she was told, and he fastened a leather and plastic ring gag around her head, a mouth harness that held her jaws open for constant access. She gripped her heels, breast jutting out beautifully, and he slipped his cock through the gag into her warm, wet mouth, sliding it back and forth. Keep looking up at me with those wide eyes of yours, and you, Allison, kneel behind me and lick my asshole. He fucked Stephanie's face for a while as Allison tongued him. He could have come on them then. Stephanie had never looked more fetching, but he wanted to run the gamut today. He put collars and leashes on them and led them around the room on all fours, lashing their rumps with a riding crop. He leaned them both over the couch, lubed their asses generously, and pounded first one and then the other. He laid down and had Stephanie straddle his cock while Allison sat on his face, and they kissed and fondled each other while he tongued and fucked him. He had Stephanie put on the new black strap-on, and they double-penetrated Allison, who whimpered as Max thrust into her ass, begging him to do it harder, harder. Then he had Allison put on the old strap-on harness and let his wish girls fuck him. He went down on all fours, Allison sliding a smaller dildo in and out of his mouth. After that, he spanked them, whipped them, fondled them, caressed them, and fucked them every way he could think of. By day's end, he was exhausted, sweat-soaked, and trembling from the exertion. His cock felt drained dry from the day's several orgasms. The Wish Girls, of course, seemed calm and well-rested, as always. I'm letting you go, he said. Allison and Stephanie looked at him, then at each other. They frowned in unison. He had never seen them frown before, except when they were playing Harsh Mistress, and even that was a different, more theatrical expression. I appreciate all you've done for me. This was harder than he'd expected. You made my life wonderful, but I don't think this is good for me anymore. I've met someone, well, it doesn't matter. You're setting us free, Stephanie asked. Had Max ever taught her to say that as part of some bondage role-play scenario? Maybe, but he didn't think so. Yes, yes, you can go. Turn your back while we get dressed, Allison said. Max knew he'd never taught her to say that. He'd seen her in every conceivable state of disarray. Even now, his cum was drying on her breasts. But modesty, he suddenly understood, was a privilege of the free. He turned his back. Okay, Allison said a moment later. He turned to find them dressed in jeans and gray t-shirts, not outfits that he would have ever chosen for them clothes they had conjured for themselves. They stepped forward toward him in unison, each kissing one of his cheeks. Bye, Max, Allison said. We didn't think you'd ever get to this point, Stephanie said. She patted his cheek. 
the Wish girls left. They didn't disappear. They just went out the front door. Maybe they'd get to be real people now and make choices on their own. He didn't know. Max spent the rest of the evening filling heavy black garbage bags with sex toys, bondage gear, and lingerie, and tossing it all into the big dumpster behind the apartment complex. The garbage men were sure going to get a kick out of that. Maybe he and Kira would start playing with toys eventually, but he'd buy new ones for that. Even Max's vestigial sense of gentlemanly conduct told him that was the appropriate thing to do. Two days later, Max sat on his couch, and Kira knelt on a pillow between his feet, sucking his cock. He looked down at her, closed eyes, the expression of tender concentration on her face, and he was overwhelmed with happiness. She was doing this because she wanted to, because she liked him, because she wanted to make him feel good, and because she knew he'd returned the favor. Kira's teeth brushed against Max's cock. It hurt a little. He had never been happier. Unquote. There you have it. Another episode of Dirty Poetry. I would like for you to visit the bookstore, dirtypoetsbookstore.com, where many of these stories come from, and then come back and join me for the next episode of Dirty Poetry. Using the word poetry very loosely, of course.